Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. And you guys, this is a pretty kick-ass interview I have for you today. I am chatting with Erica of Rare Durndle. And you might be thinking, Rare Durndle, what is that? So Durndle is the German um, like Oktoberfest outfit. It's kind of like a little dress jumper thing. I don't know if I'm totally butchering this. But it's what the St. Pauli girl wears on the beer, if that's not a quick visual for you. Um, And here's the awesome thing about Erica's story. So she started out doing this Durndal business almost a decade ago, and she is killing it now. Um, Her niche is tiny, tiny, tiny. And what I love about her story is that not only did she take a leap of faith and jump into a tiny niche market... She talks about why it has worked so well and how she's been able to build a really big brand with such a tiny niche customer base. So I love this lesson so much because often I hear so many designers feeling very nervous or uncomfortable going into a tiny niche market because it's very easy to feel like you won't have enough customers, but I promise you that is not the case. So in this episode, Erica talks all about how she built her business up, how she found out exactly who her customer was and then narrowed it down even further. She talks about her strategies to build an online presence and attract the right customer and then ultimately sell to them online. She has had so much experience and success with doing pop-up shops, online marketing and e-commerce and selling through her email list. And she shares all these tips and strategies of how you can do this as well with your own fashion brand. I know you guys are going to love this episode so much. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. A quick heads up before we get to the interview. I wanted to tell you about an email that I keep getting in my inbox from you over and over. Uh, And it goes something like this. Heidi, thank you so much for the podcast. I really enjoy it. And I also just checked out your site and got on your email list. And wow, I I had no idea how many other free resources you had for working in fashion. I thought you were just a podcast. So paraphrased... I've been hearing from a lot of you who think successful fashion designer is just this podcast. But the funny thing is that the podcast came much later in the business. I've been doing all sorts of other stuff uh, before this started. And that mostly consists of free tutorials, templates, and books on things like using Adobe Illustrator specifically for fashion, creating tech packs, getting your first or next freelancing client, landing your dream job, and all the resources and skills and tools and support you need to get ahead in the fashion career. So here's what I wanted to do for you as a podcast listener. First of all, I wanted to let you know that all this content is available 
It is all free and I want to get make sure you get it. So I put together my best free stuff and to help you get ahead in your fashion career, I want to make sure you get it right now. So here's what you should do. Take 30 seconds, hit pause on this episode and go to soheidi.com slash email for instant access to my best free stuff. Again, it is soheidi.com, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email and make sure you take advantage of all the resources I have to offer beyond the podcast. All right, let's dive into the interview. Of course, if you want to check out the show notes and links to anything we mentioned in the show, just scroll down wherever you're listening. And here is my chat with Erica. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Erica. Can you please start out by introducing yourself to everyone and letting us know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Erica er- uh, Neumeyer Erat, and I am the owner and designer of Rare Dirndl. And I design and make dirndls that are a little bit more fashion forward, kind of edgy. And a dirndl is like what you would wear to Oktoberfest, like what the St. Pauli girl wears. And then my online store also carries things that go along with it. So blouses, bloomers, and jewelry and some other accessories. Yeah. Okay. I love this. And Heads up, everyone. We were Eric and I were just chatting before I hit record, and we were talking about how you say dirndl. I've now learned it's not dirndl; it's dirndl, dirndl. And yeah, the Oktoberfest gives you a great vision, or also the St. Pauli girl outfit, um, the the beer, as you referenced. So, take us back to the very beginning. Like this is such an interesting niche, so cool, uh, little fashion market sort of sec- sector of the market that you've found your way into. Um, how did this all start? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And a lot of people ask that because they're like, of all things, why <laughs> this? <laughs> so, it, I mean, it all started when uh, my mom first took me to uh, the American Aid Society of German Descendants, which is a German club here in Chicago. Um, and I started dancing with their kids group. And it just it was something that our family was kind of rallying around. Like we didn't go, uh, that was our volunteer stuff. We, all our friends were there. Um, they grew up in the German community in Chicago as well. So they had friends that were bringing their kids. And, um, then in high school you joined the youth group and you're, we were still dancing and pretty much every weekend in the summer I was in a dirndl. So then come college, I'm studying fashion design, and one of my girlfriends is studying abroad in Germany, and she's just like, you have got to see all the dirndls they have here. They're so cool. They are so much better than everything that we have at home, because (laughs) we've got here in the U.S., there's two manufacturers. One started in the 80s and the other one before that. And they've just been doing the same thing over and over because it was until now it's been working. You know, they didn't have any need to do anything new. Yeah. And uh, so I graduated from college and started playing around with this idea. I made a dirndl for myself and for a couple of my friends, and it was really well received. And I thought, okay, this is this is good and did a little bit more market research saw that it was a pretty viable idea I was a little nervous that I was going to run out of people but (laughs) uh, (laughs) that was something I was like you know what we'll deal with that when it comes I'll pivot and it's been uh, nine years now 
Yeah, I was going to ask, when was it that you graduated college? I graduated in 2009, okay. and I started Rare Dandel, like I opened the bank account and did all that kind of stuff uh, January of 2010. Okay. Wow, it's a very, very exciting. Congratulations to where you are now, and clearly you've not run out of people. Um, <laughs> so back when you – so you, you, it started very organically. You said you started making some for yourself and your friends, and you were like, maybe this could be a thing. And you did some market research. What did that look like? How did you conduct that? Sure. So what I did is basically, first I looked at what kind of styles did I have in mind? Where did I want my price point to land? Who am I competing with? And essentially, I was competing with the only two other people who are manufacturing in the US. Mm -hmm. So my first thought was, well, my price point can be a little higher because I'm definitely going to be in a different space design-wise from them. Um, but it's still, I wanted to be competitive. So I started looking more at the German designers and where I kind of wanted to be um, on those levels. And then I did a little bit of like German communities in the U.S. Where are they? What are the... like? I knew about my German club and the other ones in the U.S. that are rallying around that kind of thing. But there's there were more. And I thought, you know what, there's there is plenty of people. Um, and at that time, I really wasn't even thinking about who I have two real focused target customers. And at, in the beginning, I was just focusing on customer A. But now, now my customer B is really where I'm finding to be. Um, not, I don't want to say where the money's at, but this is kind of more my focus now than it, than it was in the beginning for sure. So who was customer A to start with? Okay. So customer A, um, I call her Jen and she is very active in her German community. So she's dancing, she's singing, she speaks a little bit of German at home with her grandparents. They have German food all the time at their house they have like little German knickknacks and she has a dirndl closet. So she's got her dirndl that she wears to dance with. She's got a couple of her own. She's got like a classic style and she's always looking for something new. And uh, she's not afraid to have more than like six dirndls in her closet. Okay. So she's pretty hardcore. She's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and then, then. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So then there's customer B and uh, I call her Linda. And she is going to Oktoberfest. She's never been. She knows she needs a dirndl because her cousin told her that she has to have one. <laughs> and she's looked on Amazon and she's super nervous about buying. She doesn't like what she sees. She wants to stand out, but in the right way. Um, and then she comes to, she finds me and then we work together and set her up with something fabulous. And my favorite thing about customer B is like after three years, they tend to come back. Oh, for a they second don't, like, one or? Yeah, because when they go to Oktoberfest, they're like, okay, fine, I guess I need this. And like, I'm only going to wear it once. This is kind of stupid. I can't believe I'm dropping like $600 on yeah. all this stuff. I was going to say, they're not cheap. Right. I mean, and once you get all, once you've got the, the blouse and you've got bloomers and you've got all, all your other things, you're looking at a good chunk of change. Yeah. And so these ladies are like, this is so silly. And uh, then they come back from Oktoberfest. And since they spent all that money, they want to find somewhere else to wear it. 
And there are plenty of places to wear it when you come back to the U.S. Oktoberfest is really gaining traction. So every city has a, its own Oktoberfest. Um, and you can wear it to German restaurants. You can wear You can throw your own party and make your friends come in Dirndl's. Um, and so then after about three years, they're like, I've been wearing the same Dirndl over and over again. I'm going to need another one. If you look back at all the pictures, it looks like they're from the same event. <laughs> exactly. So then they come back and that's like my favorite thing in the whole uh, world. And they say they're only going to wear it once and then they yeah. come back. <laughs> How cool is that? Oh, my gosh. So, um, okay. So I love like how specifically you've defined your customer avatars. I mean, she has a name. She, you know, Jen has six dirndls in her closet. Like, you know exactly who she is, which is such, I believe, uh, an important part of the process in like really serving a niche, niche, super niche market. Um that obviously has worked for you, even though at the beginning you said maybe there's not enough people. Um, and we'll, and I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, um, you did go to fashion school. And so you had – what did you leave school with, like, skill-wise, feeling like you knew how to start your own brand and go into production? Or, you know, were you figuring stuff out on your own? And what did that even look like at first? Were you making everything – by hand um, and like selling sort of one-offs or I want to hear a little bit more about all that at the beginning of the process. Yeah. So I came out um, of design school and I went to Dominican University in River Forest uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, And so their focus is really on um, like you, you come out of there really knowing how to sew very well. Um, You have, we did a lot of a whole class on again niche marketing and market like market research and mm-hmm. and designing for a specific niche. So that was kind of great. I already had that background. But in terms of local production and that kind of stuff, I had no idea. Okay. Um, so I figured all of that kind of on my own, but not really. I did have some help. Um, so in the beginning, my first collection <laughs> was <laughs> I felt I thought I needed to have a a collection. So I had 12 pieces. There was one pair of shorts. There were four dirndls, one or two separate. Like I tried to really make it like a cohesive thing. Um, and now it's just dirndls. That's where it's at. Um, but yeah, so I started that way and everything was, I was sewing it all myself made to order. Okay. So I did a trunk show at um, a German club event where I knew people from other cities were going to be. So it wasn't just my friends and family. It was a larger pool of people. And I got about 12 orders, which I thought was crazy. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So then I got home and got to the sewing machine real fast. <laughs> you set and, up a factory. <laughs> and quickly realized that this is not ideal. Um, and I applied for a residency with the Chicago Fashion Incubator. Okay. So what does that mean? What does the residency with uh, Chicago Fashion Incubator get you or do for you? Yeah. So I had two – What. At that point, it was just one, actually, one friend from college who had a residency there. And basically, it's sponsored by the city, and you have space downtown at Macy's to do your work, and they have 
people come in and help you launch your line and, and they just help you get through that process of, um, and it's a kind of a long application process and I made it towards the end. And then I had my big spiel and I was all ready and I presented my next collection and I was all this stuff. And they looked at me and they're like, you don't need us. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> like, yes. Like, I feel so lost. Oh, why did they say that? Two parts. One was they really focus on B2B. So okay, business to business. Business to business. So they want you to have a collection, sell to retailers who will sell to the customers. Right. And I knew that that was just never going to happen for okay. me. I needed to go straight to the consumer because – Yes, there are places in the U.S. that sell dirndls. There's actually one walking distance from me. Oh. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> um, so there are some, but there are not enough. There would okay. be no way. And so they felt like they couldn't help me there. Okay. And then the other part is they, they I guess they saw that I had a lot of, like I had it together, but I felt really unprepared. So they said, okay, how can we help? And I said, I don't know how to find a manufacturer to make these. They gave me a name and I'm still working with the same, the same small manufacturer. Now um, I work with a three total. Um, but that one is they, I think she right now only makes my designs and then one other Chicago designer. I've never seen anything else in there. Oh, um, wow. She's really focused it down and I guess the two of us keep her busy enough. <laughs> is it just one lady that sews and does everything for you? She cuts and does it all? No, there's um, the cutting. In my process, the cutting is separate. Okay. So that I have a cutter do that, and then I pick everything up. And um, so my process is very kind of specific to what I'm doing because I'll have – all my bodices cut at once, all my skirts cut at once, but they don't all go together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I can mix and match the bodices and the skirts. Okay, got it. So depending on what we're cutting, it it gets kind of complicated. But so then it all comes back to me and then I'll bundle it up with the zipper and the boning and all the other things that this piece might need. Bundle that up together and then send it to the sewers. And she's got a... Six or eight ladies um, that are sewing there and then someone pressing. Wow. So you must – I mean, you said she has – there's one other person you know of that also produces with her, but you must be making a lot of stuff. Um, the other lady is making a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> this, this year, actually, I'm bumping up my production almost twice, a little more than double what I did last year. Okay. Um, cause I've got some pretty big sales goals in mind for this year. And if I want to reach those goals, I have to have enough inventory. Yeah. But, um, I usually, so if I travel to German Fest Milwaukee, which is usually my, my big pop-up shop of the year, mm -hmm. I'll bring with me 80 to a hundred dirndls. Wow. And will you typically get through a lot of those? Sell through a lot? Um, if I sell 20 plus in a weekend, it's a great weekend. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah. you obviously you have to have variety for people to choose from in different sizes and stuff. Exactly. And that's where last year I was getting so much web traffic and the sales were just piddling off and I couldn't fit. I was like, what is going on? And after, you know, looking through it and analyzing it, 
I realized I just didn't have enough. Oh, like people couldn't find what they needed or wanted or it wasn't in their size or something. Yeah, my my thought was someone's going to the website, finding something they like, clicking on it. They're a, say they're a size 12. They see this is only available in a size 6. Move on to the next one that I like. This one's only available in a size 16. By the third one, mm, they're done they're, looking they're, around. They're, they've left. You lost them. Yep. And so that, oh. that's where. Yeah. So wow. that's why this year I'm, I'm bumping it up. It's like super scary because it's so seasonal. Yeah. But, yeah. But it sounds like you've really analyzed things and you're making like smart decisions. Like you said, you looked at your analytics and you saw, okay, the people are looking at this, doesn't have in their size, this doesn't have in their size. Third time I lose them. Whereas if you had it, you it probably would have been a sale. Where else right. do they really have to go? Right. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I want to get to that. I want to talk about selling. But um, okay, so you did the Macy's thing. You didn't get in, but they pointed you to this woman who you're still working with. So that is amazing. And so you did you just kind of dive into production and say, can you make – I know you said you got – uh, an order for like, or you got 12 orders at that mm-hmm. first event you did, the first trunk show. Did you just say, can you make these 12 or did you buy some inventory in advance and then say, I'll figure out how to sell them? Or like, what did that really look like in those early days? Sure. So yeah, we're back at the incubator. They gave me her name. They also gave me the name of the cutter that I'm still working with. And um, I had, what's so funny is I pretended to be an intern so that I could get into the uh, fabric and trim show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I didn't have like the credentials yet. (laughs) I know they make some of these shows so hard to get into. And, and that like really the past, like the DG expo, you don't need all of these things. You'd like, like a business card, which you can print yourself on Vistaprint. But anyway, so I I felt like I snuck into this show (laughs) And found some fabric vendors, and then uh, I became in touch with Vimora. Um, that was they were in Chicago at the time, and then they had I'd given them my pattern making. So things were starting to progress in a way that felt more like production. But that first twelve orders I made myself. Then after that, I was still doing a bit of making to order, and I had put up a website. But there weren't. There was no online sales because yeah. you can't just put up, up a website. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So in a couple of months, I would get one online order, and I'd be like so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, I thought maybe the best way to reach people is to go to different Oktoberfests and do pop-up shops. Okay. And in order to do this, I needed to have inventory. Yeah. So I looked at what I designed. I thought, what would sell? I, I just kind of guessed. And I was making, you know, maybe three or four from each style in a just a guess of sizes. Yeah. Knowing that I had more fabric so that if someone had a different size, I could say, well, I can make it for you. Okay. That was my strategy going into this. And so the pop-up shop thing I did for like two years, two, three years, and it is exhausting. It, it, I've done it. I have done it. It is exhausting. It is super exhausting, but it's so important. Yes. I felt like I learned so very much in those yeah. few years. What did you learn? Like what? Um, just 
I learned a lot about one, what kind of pe- people are looking for, which Oktoberfest people wear dirndls to and which pe- they don't. Mm. Um, so then that, you know, that helps me gear, you know, which, who are the people I should be marketing to right. as opposed to, you know, spending my time trying to reach everybody that goes to any Oktoberfest because there's some that you just, you're not going to see people wearing dirndls. They're just oh. going to wear jeans and t-shirt. Interesting. Um, yeah. I also learned I thickened my skin a lot because there's people who comment and in the beginning it would really hurt some of their comments. And like, what do they say? Um, like they go up to the mannequin like, Oh my gosh, this would be so cute for Halloween. And and they look at the price and then just like laugh or just burst out. And so there was a lot of, um, I mean, I already had so much anxiety over the price points and then these comments made it even worse. And so then there was a point in time where I was doing a little bit of undercharging and then realizing that this is not going to work either. Yeah. But so that toughened me up a bit. Um, I learned, I also learned, you know, there's people that really, really appreciate it love it and are still customers to this day Aww. so it, it was a lot of great experience doing those shows gotcha yeah it's priceless getting that face-to-face interaction with your customer and learning more about mm-hmm. them and then you know also like you said understanding that not everyone's your customer and some people might gawk at it but hey that's okay and you got to kind of get you got to toughen up to that stuff absolutely and yeah. that kind of goes back to where I have such a specific customer now because I know that it is okay for me to not speak to certain people because they're not my target. And so trying to be, you know, it sounds so crazy to have an even narrower niche than just Darndles because it's already so tiny, but they need to have, they need to be willing to spend money. They need to have a little bit more of a edgy style. They can't, you know, so there's even more of a narrowing down here. So I was really learning to accept that fact that this is just not for everybody. Right. And I need to only speak to the people that it's going to resonate with. Yeah. You guys, we're going to, I mean, we'll definitely link to um, your site in the show notes for sure. And um, we'll put some pictures in the write-up because you guys got to see the pictures of these styles online. They are super edgy and fun. I mean, you have like an Aerosmith Dirndl. You have a leopard print Dirndl. I'm like that. If I were to wear a Dirndl, um, that would be the one I would choose. But they are so fun and funky and unique. And yeah, you're not going to find this anywhere. Um, and so it is a very specific customer. So, so you learned a lot about that over the couple years you were doing the pop up shops. And mm-hmm. um, just quick sort of side question: How are you funding all of this? Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, sure. So I had. My, I was, I worked uh, through college um, or almost all the way through. I was falling behind and I thought, okay, if I'm going to finish on time, I need to like quit this side job. Okay. So I had saved all this money and I started it with five grand. Okay. That was what I had to, to kind of jumpstart it. Um, a lot of it went to the website. Mm, okay. And, you know, in hindsight, a lot of it should have gone into production, but since I was doing it myself, um, 
it was more like time. I was just doing a lot of time. I didn't have too much overhead because I was working out of my parents' dining room and living room. Okay. So uh, fridge was full. <laughs> I didn't have rent. You didn't have rent. Yeah, I didn't right. have electricity didn't have, or cable bills. It, totally, yeah. I could binge watch all the shows I needed to while I was sitting there doing handwork. Um, <laughs> Eating free dinner. <laughs> exactly. The, there were a couple times where I knew I needed to ramp up production and I was just not making enough. And okay. um, my parents uh, helped me out twice. I have since paid them back. Awesome. Um, but they they helped fund those production, like the cash flow issues where you're just front loading all of this stuff yes. in hopes that it sells. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you're never going to sell all of it. Right. So there's, it's, you know, a lot of almost overbuying in the beginning so that you have enough to sell and it'll kind of sustain you. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm still at. So still learning this cash flow situation. Um, but from there, and I was working out of my parents' house for four and a half years. Okay. And so I just recycled everything back in for the most part. Um, and when I moved out and got my own studio space, I picked up a side, uh, a second job. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, it was in twenty uh, summer of 2015 when I was able to give myself a, pay, a paycheck that was enough to quit that job. Oh, that's amazing. So about a little over five years after you had started. Correct. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. So first of all, dear listener, this stuff takes time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when I say enough, I mean, it was just like, just to cover the just basics. To pay the basics. Yeah. Exactly. Like I would say last year, last year was the first year where I was able to get a consistent paycheck. That was more than I would say, like, you know, I could get some extra stuff on the side. <laughs> Yay, that's amazing. Congratulations. So you're still growing really strong. Yes, this year I'm hoping to see a lot of growth. 2016 was like a big growth year, and I'm hoping this is also going to be a big growth year. That's amazing. So, um, okay, so you you sort of just kept cycling the money back into the business, got a little help from your parents, finally got to a point where you were able to sustain yourself. Um, last year got a big paycheck. And what else did you do? So you said the first two years you did the pop-up shops and or, – or, I think that's what you call them, the markets, the fairs, what have you. You're physically going out and selling, um, like on weekends and stuff. And you weren't getting much web traffic. So where did did that shift and how were you able to make that shift to getting online sales? And – and I'm also kind of curious, like where you're at today. Is it mostly online, or you and you're really picky about the events you do? Or you still, you know, find you you have to do a lot of the the pop up shops to sustain? That's a great question. So the first website I had was really what I thought I needed to have as a designer. You know, so it had like a beautiful landing page. Where like click to enter and like uh it showed all these collections but why am I showing previous collections that people can't get Mm -hmm. eventually it started to realize like you don't need to have a pair of shorts you don't need to have pants you don't need to have this you don't need to show them how talented you are it will show when they get it in the mail so this decided this kind of was a realization that my website wasn't doing anything for me Mm. 
So then I had a complete web redesign and I was working with a designer who said, you have to get on WordPress. You have to get on WordPress. WordPress is where it's at. Okay, let's, let's do it. So I had this WordPress site for maybe six months when I realized this is not working either. Oh, why? There were these plugins that, that I had to capture credit cards with this plugin. It was so oh. complicated to check out. Yeah. It's like, this is stupid. Is this like, I'm trying to remember the timeline of like when sure. Shopify really became, like when, you know, Shopify now, it's like plug and play. You can pay 30 right. bucks a month and it's it's set up in five seconds. Um, you were a little before that though, right? So this is going to be, we're talking this Second website is going to be 2013. Okay. I'm trying to remember like when Shopify and, Shopify and some of these really easy e-commerce solutions sort of hit the market. Right. And I'm – this is 2013 – what is it, 2013, 2014? I think it – 2015 is when I started using Shopify. Okay, gotcha. Because that's when I have, like, remember I have analytics from that long ago. <laughs> so somewhere in between 2012 and 2015, okay. I switched to Shopify. Gotcha. I did the website myself. I said, because I had already maxed out all my money on paying this yeah. guy to make me stupid website that didn't uh. work. And I couldn't believe it. So I was up late just trying to get this website up. And um, in the meantime, I had been blogging since 2011 so pretty pretty for you yeah but I was doing it in a very different way than I do now in the beginning I was kind of documenting my journey um what it what how am I how am I doing this what kind of inspiration am I talking about like sort of the design journey so the customer can get a glimpse behind the scenes into the Mm -hmm. process okay yeah so that's what I started with because that's all I knew Um, and since then I took, you know, different online courses and different classes to learn how to, to do this, like to try and and get my items out there. And I realized that it's going to be about talking about other things besides what I'm doing, because not everybody cares. Most people don't care. (laughs) Uh, and so now I blog about things that the customer really wants to know, like what are the shoes that are trending right now at Oktoberfest? What right now I'm doing a lot of stuff about pretzels. What techniques do you use to make pretzels? How many, what's the difference between American pretzels and German pretzels? And just really rallying around the whole idea of the German American lifestyle and how, and dandles as a whole. And that has been working very well for me. And I've been doing that now consistently since about 2014. And that's, I think, where my web traffic tends to come in through. Okay. And what is consistently? Are you, are you writing like once a week? I used to write once a week. Now I write maybe once a month and I repurpose content that I already have because I've got like five years worth of, of blog posts that some of them are a little old. So I'll just take that content freshen it up a bit, put some fresh pictures. Um, so I'm really only writing like fresh new stuff, maybe once or twice a month. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. 
three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD Podcast. Now, back to the episode. Okay, yeah, because that can turn into a full-time job in itself. Um, yeah, but I was doing that definitely once a week. And, can, and emailing, um, email marketing, also when I started doing that more consistently, that also brings in traffic. I mean, yeah. sales. Yeah. Uh, that's okay, what so- make most of sales is email marketing. Okay. Oh boy. We're going to talk about this. Um, I love this so much. Um, so, uh, okay. So you, oh, you also you, asked about shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So talk about that and then we'll dive into the, the, uh, the email marketing and all that stuff. So what are you doing for shows nowadays? I do two, two a year. Two, well, and some holiday stuff. So a couple okay. local holiday markets. Okay. Um, but that I consider a little bit separate because it's not all Deerndle based, but really where, you know, I bring pack up the whole basically store and bring it out is two. Okay. Two a year. One you said was in Michigan? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Um, and then where's the other one? The other one travels, um, from to different cities this year. It's in Milwaukee. So that's great. Nice and close. (laughs) I'm in Chicago. Yeah. Um, last year or two years ago was in... Michigan and then Ohio so it it, it bounces around okay but th- those are um really great uh repeat customers yeah. so I know I know that that one's going to be a good one every year okay but that must feel nice just to a year and then a couple holiday things that must that that feels definitely. probably nice compared to where you were at, at the beginning definitely yeah but you got to get through those stages there it's all stepping stones to the next thing yeah and at that time I I, you know, I didn't have a family. I didn't have all these other obligations. I, I could just go. And my mom, she's just been the best person in the whole world. And she would go with me all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Drive out to like middle of nowhere, Illinois to this Oktoberfest where we sit there in the rain by ourselves. Yeah. Unpack all your stuff, set up <laughs> yeah. the tent, set up the racks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, literally, I have done up. it. Yeah. No, I, I know this, this, this experience very well. Um, Okay, so the the website and the marketing and the email stuff. So you you started to learn that like if I start talking about these peripheral subjects, I imagine you get traffic via Google because maybe someone's looking for that and then they kind of trip over your your product through the blog content. Um, now they're on your site, and um, how are you getting them on your email list? Yeah. There's a couple things I do. One that has been working really well for the past few years is I have a Witch Dirndl style Are You quiz. Oh, yes. I love yeah. that. So uh, you give me your email in exchange to take this quiz and find out which Dirndl style you are. Um, I also have a pretty heavy duty. It's kind of like an e-magazine or an e-book uh, digital download. It's just a PDF that you can download that has um, as many German restaurants and Oktoberfests that are happening in the U.S. that I can find and then kind of a couple other articles and things like that. So that's a pretty oh. robust download that you can get. Nice. Good piece of value for people. Yeah. And the last thing is um, I have a pop-up on my website that's like a secret gift card. But that one doesn't really convert as well. Yeah. 
I, yeah, you know, those are the ones you see on every retail site is like, oh, here's 10% off your first order. Um, and they feel just kind of a, a dime a dozen. So I love that you've done these two really creative things. Again, that the, the Deerndle one is obviously very related to your product, but everybody loves those quizzes, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then the, the other one is sort of that peripheral content. It doesn't have anything to do with Deerndle specifically, right. but you're gathering a bunch of information and giving it to someone who is potentially your exact ideal customer. Yeah, so those are the ways that I'm collecting emails right now. And obviously, Facebook has Facebook has really been um, helpful for me. And it's a great way to, especially during Oktoberfest season, to target people because you can just get so specific with the ads. Oh, you do but ads? Okay. I do run. I do run ads. Um, pretty much June through September. Okay. Or end of May through September. Yeah. Prime season. Okay, and, and this year I'm going to be experiencing. I'm going to be experimenting with uh, coupons versus content, and see where that goes. Yeah. Okay. And retargeting ads, those kinds of things. So I run those as well. And just on Facebook, are you doing Instagram as well? I do have an Instagram. My Instagram following isn't as big, okay. um, but the ads I think run to both because they're connected. Oh yeah, I don't know how it works. I ran some yeah. Facebook ads for a quick minute, and I was like, I can't. This is this is not working for me. I can't. It's too complicated. <laughs> it's. I felt like I was like burning money in the air. I was like literally. <laughs> it does. It feels that way for a long time, and yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what do you email people once they're on your list? Yeah, I email them the same stuff I have on my blog. Okay, so valuable content. You're not just always saying, here's a coupon, buy my thing. So my my formula is usually three to one uh, content to pitch. So three pieces of content, one pitch. Yes. Okay. Um, usually maybe one of the content things has a soft pitch in it, like, P.S., this was the top-selling item this week. Or, okay. yes, if you like pretzels here's pretzel earrings so there's usually something softer in there but usually it's three to one okay and I also um the email software that I have or the hosting I don't know what the direct correct terms are there allows me to segment my list really tight so I can send only people who are if I have a new collection of plus size things I can only send them to my plus size customers based on what they've purchased in the past oh who it's um I do know the term for this it's an ESP an email service provider there you go (laughs) (laughs) who do you use Klaviyo oh I've never heard of them what is it Klaviyo Klaviyo okay I've not heard of them but clearly it's A-V-I-O C-L-A-V-I-O okay it's working really well for you K-L-A-Y-V-L-O, something like that. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, And it's working very well for you, it sounds like. Yeah, because I'm I'm not afraid to send as many emails. You know, I send a lot of emails. Like how often? Once a week. Oh, okay, yep. If I'm having like a big launch, and when I launch a collection, this has worked a couple times for me now, and so I'm going to just continue to do it because it's been working, is I'm... So for example, my next collection is inspired by like street art. Okay. So I'll have a couple blog posts that are like German street art, the 10 German street artists you should know, a little bit background on like German street art. And then the people that open those are interested, so I'm going to hit them up harder. Oh, right. So you can so track lots, who opens yeah. and then send them another follow-up email saying, hey, you might love this Deerndl. Right. So during launch week, 
my entire list might get three emails in one week, but mm-hmm. the people who are interested could be getting an email a day. Right. So it, it, it varies from once a week and then certain times when I'm launching something big, it's, it's heavy. It's yeah. heavy to I love this though, and it's honestly not dissimilar to how I run my business. I mean, I don't sell dirndls; I sell, um, you know, courses and and some other stuff. But I provide a lot of great free value. And one of the things I've learned, which it sounds like exactly what you've learned and what you're doing, is it's like when you're gonna sell, sell. Like you can't be in the corner all mousy. Like I'm gonna send one email and think this is gonna just explode. Like you kind of have to, you gotta get up on that stage and pick up the microphone and talk. And I think that can be very hard for people to learn or feel comfortable with. I mean, you know, sending one email a week, you might feel like, oh, I'm bombarding people or scaring them away. If they don't want to be there, then they'll unsubscribe. But the people that want to be there, they want to hear about this stuff and they stay and they love getting the content. I imagine that's sort of how it's built up for you. Yeah. And another great thing about the the launch system that I have is if someone buys, then they're not going to get more emails. Oh, perfect. Yes. They're, they're not going to get more sales emails. Got it. But yeah, I've gotten to the point where I've realized that if people want to hear about it, they'll stay on the list. Yes. There's people who have been on the list since 2012. Oh, I and love that. Oh, that's so smart. Who, you started way back then. Yeah. And well, my cousin has a small business and her, she was doing email marketing and I was like, she's smart. Oh. She does email marketing. I should do that. <laughs> I, I talked to a lot of people who are like, I started my business, but I didn't start the email stuff until like 2016. And I just wish I'd started way back, but sometimes you learn. Yeah. I, I started it definitely, I think two years in. Okay. And I, I never look at my unsubscribes ever. No, you ha- you can't. It's a very unhealthy pattern to get into. <laughs> yeah. And especially like if for some reason it, it comes across my eye and I see someone that I know personally, I'm like, oh, man. But you just never know. It could be they're having a really bad day and they just yeah. can't handle any more information. And they just yeah. unsubscribe to everything that day. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. So I don't look at it. No, but I do send not. a lot of e- – I send – a good amount of emails. I think that's brilliant. Um, and obviously it's working and, you know, your list would be dwindling if it wasn't and you wouldn't be getting the sales. Um, so, so clearly you're doing it right. Um, when you were, when you were doing pop-up shops way back and I guess the ones you still do now, do you collect emails in person as well? You have a little sign-up sheet? Oh yeah. I yeah. have, uh, I don't have a sign-up sheet cause no one wants to sign up. I have a giveaway. I give away oh. depending on the size. So the smaller, holiday ones, I'll do a $25 gift card, but the big ones, I do a $50 gift card. Oh, and people sign up for that. And people sign up. So you put your, you put your name and email on a little piece of paper and put it in the little birdcage thing. And then I pick it, uh, a winner. And so for say a German fest weekend, which three days, three day long fest, it's usually between 150 and 200 emails. That's amazing. And it costs you. A lot of them are repeats, but yeah. Oh, that's great. And then do you hand enter all of them? <laughs> I, so I lay them out on a table and I take a picture and then I send it to someone on Fiverr to transcribe into an yes, Excel doc. I upload it. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, Fiverr. Yeah, we got a link to that as well yep. in the show notes. A great resource to get quick, small tasks like that done that are oh, yeah. kind of Absolutely. tedious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that answer. Um so cool. And so now you said, mo- I mean, obviously you do the shows, which can be very fruitful. Those are only a couple times a year, but most of your sales, they do come directly from the email compared to just organic traffic directly to the site. 
Um, a lot of it comes from organic traffic to the site, but only during like July and August. Okay, so you've really got just two months out of the year. People who are actively looking, they're like, I'm going to Oktoberfest. I need something to wear. This girl looks like she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> she's got a free returns policy. I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, okay, talk a little bit about that, the returns and like – um, cause, cause I think sometimes it can feel scary from a customer's perspective, buying something unknown online, especially at this price point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Go ahead. It, it is nerve wracking. And so I'm constantly trying to make the customer experience better, trying to learn what the customer wants, like what is their hesitation. And it, First, the first thing was sizing. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, I need to address the sizing. So I'm like, there's a size chart. Well, you know, people don't know how to measure. They're measuring their waist at their hip where they wear their pants, which yeah. is not going to fit. So I made a video, how wow. to measure yourself. And then I have a whole page on my website just dedicated to questions about sizing. Okay. And then I have a video of how to read the size chart, how to choose your size if you're in between, blah, blah, blah. So that helped a lot. Yes. Then um, the shipping and returns. So it is a big expense to do free shipping and free returns, but I do have a higher price point product. I build it into my pricing now. Um, And the free returns, you know, I don't get too many, but I do a decent amount of exchanges during the busy season. Mm. But it makes people feel comfortable, and then they feel so taken care of yes. when you're there to help them, and um, it's they feel more inclined to buy again then. Yeah. Yeah, no, it leaves them with, like, a really, really good feeling about you and the business, and, like, building that trust and that sort of relationship is really priceless, and that's what gets you the repeat customers and the loyalty, and then people recommend it to their friends, and that's where it really starts to spiderweb and grow. Yeah, absolutely. So if they had a really great experience, and then they come home from their trip, then they convince their friends to go again. They're like, I'll go again. I've got a Darndl. Then they're <laughs> going to recommend all of the friends, the new friends that are going yeah. to me. So. Yeah. Um, do you pack and ship all the orders yourself and maintain all the inventory, or do you have a warehouse service that does that? I have a, a part-time assistant that comes in three days a week, okay. and between her and I, we pack and ship all the orders. Um, for the most part, I don't do too much of it, but um, – Especially August when it's getting a little tight, we yeah. ship out as soon as possible. Okay, gotcha. And does she help you with other tasks as well, or is that mostly what, what you get support with? Pardon me? Does your assistant help you with other tasks as well? I mean, I think it's just interesting, like, you're to the point where you're now, you know, hiring uh, someone to come in and help you. And I'm just curious to know, like, what other tasks um, – because running this type of business is – very there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes so I was just curious to know if there's other things that she helps you with as the business has grown like stuff you've realized you need to kind of offload absolutely yeah so she helps with um cut and sew of custom pieces um putting on the handwork because that's something that the small manufacturers they look at so when I talk about handwork yeah explain that I'm not talking about like buttons it's 
there are these hooks that go on to the side of the dirndl and you can't get them in the U.S. because they have no purpose for them. So I order them from Germany and that makes that kind of corset look in the front where it laces up. Okay. And all of those pieces need to be put on by hand. Oh. And then some of the trimming that we put on is, is pleated and then you kind of pinch it up and you have to sew that by hand too. Oh. So there's a lot of work that goes on after it comes back from the sewers. It's not done. And, <laughs> and they, yeah, and they're not going to do it. And because they look at me, they go, no, we weren't doing that. <laughs> so I have uh, two seamstresses that I work with. One does hand work. One just uh, picks up and drops off. So she'll do some of the smaller things like special orders, one of a kinds. Um, but my assistant will help with the handwork. She helps with um, organizing. So if we get a couple returns and I process the return, she'll put it back to stock. Got it. Filling the orders. Um, it, uh, there's so much day to day. There's so I'm much. trying to think. Yeah. Customer service. Yeah. I mean, yep. Everything. Yeah. And I'm also, this is kind of off topic and can go into a whole nother place, but I do <laughs> a one of a kind sale where customers can kind of design their own but not really and so that takes up a lot of her time as well um cutting and preparing these one-of-a-kinds for people okay actually it's super not off topic because i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that so you do have sort of your stock styles um Mm -hmm. and then talk a little bit about the one-of-a-kind and what does that process look like um from your perspective and how have you set that up business-wise? Like, do you have a return policy on that? Or, you know, is it kind of the customer gets what they get and is it fully customized to their body? And how does that whole thing work? Sure. This has taken a couple um, turns throughout the years. In the beginning, it was uh, just custom and it was made to your measurements and I still do that a little bit, but there's only six spots a year. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, and it's a much higher price point. It's more of an experience. You get to try it on before it's finished. So there's a, there's kind of a, a real process to the custom okay. now. And I only accept orders October through April. Oh, during off-season. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the one-of-a-kind is how it works is – it's one day you get to you I have 40 slots if you get one of those you get to pick three colors your size and your length so you have to choose the size off the size chart there's not customization there okay gotcha but you get to customize the colors and the length yes and then I send you a few swatches you pick your favorite and we take it from there so there's a lot of trust yeah wait and what do you mean there's 40 slots in a day like how are you doing this kind of in person or what do you once mean? a year once a year and so you just you you kind of order online a little blind and then i email back and forth oh so once a year you have this little pop-up one-of-a-kind sale where or custom sale mm-hmm. where you, not sale but like launch let's say yeah where mm-hmm. you say hey today's the day there's 40 slots to get a custom dirndl and grab one of the 40 yep and it, I, I talk it up for about a month beforehand and a get people on a special email list. Yeah, yeah. build and excitement. It, it, yeah, it was it was it was kind of crazy. This year we sold out in twenty seven minutes. <gasps> oh my god! Really? <laughs> it was crazy. Holy shit! 
And then something glitched on the website and every single person ordered a size two in the short length. And I'm like, this can't be possible. Oh my God. Did you have to reach out to them and like get the actual size? Yeah. So the sale went live at 4 p.m. Central Time. And I was until about like 6 p.m. calling people to verify and figure out what the heck was going on. So like calling all these people like, hey, so. (laughs) But then they honestly, did they probably feel kind of excited to talk to you for a minute? It did work out in my favor. Yeah, I feel like it would be. Yeah. And it was also so it was also really validating that people were ready to purchase, even though they knew that this wasn't their size, they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> they they oh. trusted that I was going to figure it out. Oh, so, but, you know, but this, having this kind of sale, I don't think would have worked in the first few years. You know, this has been working up that no like trust factor for a while. Yes. The no like trust is very valuable and you've, I've, you have the audience size to do it. Um, but wow, 27 minutes. That must have been su- – is that the first time you did it, you said, 27 minutes? That So I, I ran the sale. This is the third time running it. Okay. I did the first one in 2012 and the second one in 2016. Oh, you and waited. This is, yeah, and this is the third time I've done it, and it's hopefully going to be a yearly thing now. I'm trying to restructure um, the – Take, took a look at the business and I needed a way to, you know, this cash flow problem that I have in, I have to make all this stuff in the beginning of the year to sell at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I needed money to do that. So I um, was like the one of a kind sale went over super well. What if I can do it at a slightly smaller scale every year? Mm-hmm. So that clearly this year it, it proved to be a viable um, option. <laughs> Wow, what did that feel like when in 27 minutes your inbox was like exploding with all the orders? It was it was crazy. I felt I felt like I said really validated. Like, yes, yeah. okay. I've got I've got something going here. Today actually I had a little moment of feeling really behind on them, but we're, we'll get them out by June. June 1st is the ship date on them, so. Okay. And so there's 40 and and who makes these? Does your cut and sew lady do these as well? So my assistant is cutting most of them. Okay. Uh, or, I'm then, sorry. You said you just have the lady that that, that sews the manufacturer. Yes. That sews. Okay. Yes. So then I have. Well, then I have the seamstresses. I have two of them that come and pick up and drop off. Okay. And they're the ones that are sewing the one of a kinds. Okay. Gotcha. They're not going to the manufacturer. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because they're all different. Right. 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 And so they obviously do more bulk production type of stuff where there's quantity Correct. and minimums and stuff. Okay. Got it. How like, cool. while, they, while they're all the same, they're still a little bit different and it feels, um, and we can also do it on a weekly basis. We don't have to give that all to them at once. Yeah. So we can turn around like five to 10 a week and then okay. she'll bring back those five to 10, whatever we've got going. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And that, and that's a lot of, you know, change the thread color and it's right. just, it's very labor intensive for someone who's set up more production line style. Exactly. Yeah. They're gonna not want to work with me, <laughs> or charge <laughs> you like ridiculous. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is such a cool thing that you've built into your business. Um, I love this concept of. I mean, first of all, it's it's tremendous scarcity, which you know we know in in business works. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's just like such a special experience for the customer, and it like feels such. It just feels like a really exciting moment to be part of on both sides. 
Yeah, and it, they the people really do. There's some people that are like, yeah, whatever, I like green. And then there's other people that are really, you know, like, oh, I don't know, maybe me. And so there's a there's a little bit more kind of coaxing and, and like, it's okay, don't worry. You you know, you, you got this for a reason. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And you did ask about returns. And I don't take returns on custom pieces. Okay. But I also will, if you're not happy with it, you know, I'm going to take it back and fix it. You know, there's... There's only been one time where I had to like redo the whole thing because for some I don't know how the sides got totally jacked. Okay. But I'm always going to go above and beyond to make the customer happy. If she doesn't like it, return it. And yeah. I mean, you can't return it per se. Um, however, at this point, I do know that say one of these one of a kinds, they don't like it and they want their money back. And they just don't like maybe the colors they picked or something. They they just don't like it at all. I'd be, oh. okay, here's your money back. I'm going to put it on the rack and sell it at German Fest. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you put no returns, but you also do what you need to do to make sure the customer's happy. Absolutely. Because yeah. the last thing I want is someone to walk away yeah. really unhappy. It's important. Is that, yeah. Yeah. I think what there's some weird statistic where it's like, you know, one unhappy customer, like, I'm going to totally botch this, but like they can ruin so much. Um, like they tell like 10 people versus, you know, happy customer sometimes doesn't tell anybody, but it's like that one unhappy customer can really do a lot of damage. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look on, you look on any of the websites, they have all five, five star reviews. And then there's a one star and which is the one you want to read. <laughs> right. It, it, right. It's so true. You can like, look at something like Amazon, right? Something everybody's has experience with and it can have like a hundred five stars. And you look at those three, one stars and you're like, Oh, I don't know. It might not be the right product for me. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, amazing. So you have definitely built a great loyalty with your customer base by just doing the right thing and really making sure they're taken care of and feel good. That's so important. Yeah. So, and it, it, I try to translate that into the website as well by collecting, you know, testimonials and making sure that their experience is, is shared with other people so that when I have someone come to the website for the first time, they can feel comfortable buying something because again it's a high price point item so for them to to click check out without much knowledge is is a lot of trust so there's hopefully you know my goal is that they do feel comfortable to do that yeah that's amazing yeah I'm looking at it right now the customer photo section you have where it's Mm, like real mm -hmm. life pictures of all the people that have bought your stuff which is so cool it may like from a customer's perspective if I'm coming in to buy blind this makes me feel a lot more comfortable seeing all these real life photos of people just like me who've done this and look very happy. Yeah. And you know, I understand that that's something that is years in the making. Like I just, I didn't open my online store with all of these testimonials, but this is just, you know, constantly changing, always wanting to tweak. What's the problem? How can I address it? And if I, in the beginning, I take pictures of, you know, my sister, my friends, like the people I knew that had something, take a picture and, you know, friends tend to really, you know, be happy to help. And just, and then again, just asking the customers, if I had five customers, I followed that up with five emails, asking them if they would share their experience, something like that, you know, just don't be afraid to ask. Cause the worst thing they can say is no. And you're like, okay. 
but you do you're right you have to ask for that stuff and it does take a while to build um I mean, clearly, you know, you've been working on this for a long time, working very, very hard, and it doesn't happen overnight. This is the long haul. Right. Yeah, I love it. Um, Thank you so much for chatting with us, Erica, and sharing your story. It's so interesting, and I love how super, super, super niche you are, and you've not run out of people. No, I have not run out of people, and there are still so many more. That you haven't even reached yet. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, really quick random question I just thought of. Do you get mostly U.S. orders, or you have a good international base as well? Uh, the only international orders I get are going to be from Canada. So, oh, okay. So it is mostly yeah. U.S. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's who I'm talking to. I'm talking about the German-American experience. Ah, right. Um. I did go to Germany in 2013. There was this like new trade show and they wanted to have me. They thought it was crazy that there was somebody making dirndls <laughs> in the U.S. And I sold a bracelet. Uh, so I schlepped all my stuff and you sold one over bracelet. to Germany and I sold a bracelet for oh, 20 bucks. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, but I again, I learned a lot because I was talking to people and basically you know, they're like, why would I buy American made if I can buy German made? Yeah. Like, oh, that's a fair question. Yeah. So at that point, I was like, Germans aren't my target customer. Americans. Yeah. So you even narrowed it down more and it's totally <laughs> yeah. working. Um, I have to throw out a quick plug. You mentioned her earlier, but V. Mora, Anna, um, Anna Livermore, um, she was interviewed on the podcast episode 17. We will link to that in the show notes. And she mentioned you because we <laughs> we were, t- which you already know because we already talked about this, but the um, uh, she mentioned you in the interview because you had started working with her however many years back. When did you start working with her? I started working with her in 2013, 2012, 2013. Okay. Something so like that. A while, yeah. And sort of the the main topic of our episode was, um, I mean, we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things we really honed in on was picking a really tight niche for your brand. And she mentioned you as an example, and she's like, you know, you would think that it might be too small, but it's never too small because chances are the small, tiny markets are the ones that nobody is serving. Yeah, and it's easier to talk to. And you yes. can really get on this, you know, you can really talk to them in a way that's authentic and you don't have to pretend to be or say anything, you know, because when you're trying to talk to so many people, you have to water down your message. Yes. And then you're then like, like she said, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. It doesn't and, resonate with them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And all of, all of my email marketing, all of the, this kind of stuff, I really did learn from, um, from Jane Hamill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know Jane. Yeah. I know Jane. Yeah. Yeah. So she, and I still work with her on a regular basis because there's always more to learn. And, but she really taught me, she was the one that told me you're blogging, you're doing great, but you could be doing a lot better if you switched your tactic. And so when I had listened to what she had to say on that, pivoted my, you know, from blogging about me and what was me being a designer so hard to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) right, exactly. It was, it was like almost like a 180. Oh, wow. Um, what is the name of her business again? I can't recall it off the top of my head. 
Uh, Jane Hamble, and then she also has Fashion Brain Academy. Fashion Brain Academy. That's what I was thinking of. So we'll we'll yeah. also link to her in the in the show notes. She's a great resource for sort of marketing strategy, specifically for fashion brands. There's exactly. another niche market. Um, so I love that. I love that. So American. It's it's Linda who's going to her first Oktoberfest, and she's got to figure out what to wear. And she's mm-hmm. coming to you, and she falls in love. Yep. I love it so much. Um, well, thank you so much for for uh, reaching out to be on the show. You had emailed me, and I was like, wait, I've heard – I know this girl. I know her story. <laughs> and I was like, wait, Anna in the Vimora episode talked about you. So I'm so glad to have you on the show and get to share more of your story than just the glimpse that Anna was able to mention. Um, and I would love to end with, with first of all, uh, where can everybody find you online or connect with you on Insta or, or wherever you're hanging out? Absolutely. I'm at rarederndl.com. So that's R-A-R-E-D-I-R-N-D-L. Um, Facebook, Rare Derndl, and Instagram, Rare Derndl as well. I love it. We'll link to all those in the show notes. And then I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the episode. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they would? Oh, I should have had this one ready. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Um, You know, something is like that fashion isn't just runways and high end and glamour. I consider myself a fashion designer and I talk about beer and pretzels and dancing (laughs) and you know it's but it's still fashion and so I guess the question nobody ever asks me is do you feel like you're a fashion designer and I do oh I love that and I I also love that about your story because it's not it is so easy to sort of your stereotypical like fashion thing is like you say it's the runway but there's so much more than that. There's what you're doing. There's the everyday clothes for everyday people, which is arguably most of the product in the world. And then there's all these interesting little niche markets like costumes or uniforms have to be designed, whether it's for, you know, big mass restaurants or whether it's for, um, you know, sports or anything. There's so many interesting niches besides the runway. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's so much creativity and and other fun, really interesting things that can be done in fashion that are not just sketching out designs. Because I consider like my email marketing really <clears throat> a creative outlet. Oh, because well, if I didn't, then I'd be doing nothing creative all day. <laughs> <laughs> Since I don't do like I sketch maybe two, three times a year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's just, there's a lot of creativity that happens. That's not just drawing and sketching and yeah stuff like that. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and um, everything you've learned. Really, really, really great insights and valuable lessons learned. So uh, I know everyone's going to love hearing uh, everything you have to say. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you. You make this show possible. And I also want to give a big shout out to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing behind the scenes and makes the show possible for you. 
again. Thank you for listening. And as a quick reminder, SFD is way more than just a podcast. And I want to make sure that you get access to my best free resources to help you get ahead in the fashion industry. To check those out right away, head on over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. And as always, if you want to check out any of the resources we mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes by scrolling down wherever you are listening. Thank you again so much. And I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.